Hey guys, welcome to Launch and Scale. If you are listening on the podcast, this is episode number 10. And if you are on YouTube, awesome. Please do hit subscribe for weekly content and tips for bringing products to market. And I have a special guest today. I'm actually pretty excited to talk to the world's best product licensing um, (laughs) master on the market, Stephen Key. Product licensing has just been a really hot topic. It's been something that I've followed for the last four years. It's been something that I get an email or two once a week from. And so I'm excited to actually have a a conversation with someone about how to actually do licensing or even if that's the right route to market. Because I find that when you have a product online or, or even you're getting into products, you may be overwhelmed by how many routes to market there are. And so this is just one avenue I want to explore today. And uh, so, Stephen, I'm really, really excited to have a conversation with you today. Well, thank you very much. I'm really happy to be here. We, I was admiring your wall before. So could you walk me through what's going on with that? I love it. Well, I've been in this business for a few years, and I had all my products that I had licensed over the years in boxes. I finally figured it, I should probably take them out. And so I built this wall and I put some of the products that I've licensed and some of my students have licensed as well. So it's a pretty big wall. It doesn't show all of it, but it's um, fairly large and it's kind of a nice backdrop. It looks interesting. So I like it. I love it. And um, so, guys, if you're not familiar with Stephen Key and his work, um, he has he's the owner of over 20 patents and he helps people all around the world bring products uh, or get products successfully licensed. And so with that being said, um, I'd love to start by, Stephen, can you give me a bit of a a background on how you got into what you're doing, how you got into InventRight and everything? uh, Well, you know, it's interesting. Looking back, um, I was a a student at Santa Clara University and I was taking business and I didn't like it at all. So I I took an art class by mistake and I, I found that I really loved to work with my hands. I wanted to be creative. And I, and I went home, I told my dad, I said, I want to be an artist. And he said, well, Steve, do you draw? And I said, no. And he goes, well, you must like to paint. I said, no. <laughs> so he gave me permission to do something crazy. He said, look, if you find something you truly love to do, you'll never work a day in your life. So I transferred over to another school and started studying art. And I realized very quickly, I wasn't going to be this great artist. But I wanted to, kind, I wanted to combine business with art. And so I started making things and selling um, my creations at street fairs, county fairs uh, for about seven years. And everybody thought I was the biggest loser on the planet. I, I loved it because I got to, I was able to meet some wonderful people, but I, I learned one special thing that uh, has changed my whole career. I wanted to be creative, um, but I needed to test my ideas very quickly to see if they were marketable. Because I think people can spend a lot of time building prototypes, filing patents, doing all this work, starting a, a business, and, and then maybe they don't even have a marketable product. And that's what I learned, uh, you know, selling my products on the streets, basically, that if I couldn't find something that would sell, I wasn't going to be able to pay the rent. So I'm a no-risk entrepreneur. That's what I am. I want to test my ideas very, very quickly to see if they're marketable. But I don't want to start a business. I, I want to find a company that's already in business, that already has the distribution, the marketing, 
they have all the relationships with the retailers. So if I show them one of my ideas and they like it, they can bring it to market extremely fast because today it's all about speed. So that's, that's what licensing is called. It's, it's basically renting an idea to a company. They're going to pay you a royalty on each and every one they sell on the wholesale price. Well, you can still be creative and come up with a lot of ideas. So let them do all the heavy work. And, and that's what I've done my whole career um, with some of the products you see back here that I licensed and collected royalties. And now for the last 20 years, I've been teaching other people to also bring their creativity to market without starting a business. What was the first product you got licensed for, of your own? Well, they were um, really stuffed. Uh, I guess they were plush. They were just stuffed characters. Um, and I would do a sketch and I sent it to a company and they liked the way these little puppets looked and they licensed it from me. And I stayed in that, that category, the novelty gift category for about four or five years and licensed probably tons of stuff. But they were whimsical. They were nothing serious. They were just fun things. Uh, but the one product that um, actually started producing a lot of income was called the Michael Jordan Wall Ball. And I don't know if you can see it on the shelf. I think it's right behind me here. Oh, yes. Yes. And it was really, you know what was great about it? It was just a simple, I love playing basketball, but all the, all the basketball uh, backboards, indoor or even outdoor, are square. So all I did was take a picture of Michael Jordan, put it on the back, and cut it out to the shape of Michael Jordan. Such a simple idea. I showed this to a toy company. They licensed it from me, and it sold for over 10 years. I collected royalties on a, a prototype that probably cost $10. And uh, it had its own little commercial on TV. And they did some other characters in different sizes. But it was so much fun to do that. And I was, after that happened, I was hooked mm -hmm. because they were doing all the work and they were sending me royalty checks every quarter for 10 years. And the first year, I think, was about $100,000 in royalties. Wow. Yeah, see, it, so I have, um, I think part of what uh, makes me good at interviewing on topics I know very little about is the fact that. I have this, I'll have the same questions as many of my audience that does very right. novice, very new misunderstanding of how licensing works. Okay. So when I think of product licensing, um, my first real touch with it was we launched a crowdfunding campaign for a, uh, a fitness, um, thing. It, it was like a, um, uh, travel trainer. It was a compact fitness accessory and, uh, everything looked great from a product side, but the campaign failed because the people didn't want to wait six to eight months to get the product. So it's okay. a great product, but they didn't want to wait because if you're buying a fitness product, people want it now, right? But off that failure, the founder okay. got a licensing deal. Okay. And so I thought, okay, great. So the best time to try to license something is after you get your idea out there and you show some proof of a little bit of traction or, or maybe it's before a campaign. So like when I look into um, what stage someone should be ready to license something, like when okay. is, when is the best time to do that in a product? Yeah, that's journey? a great question because um, the company I co-founded now called InventRight, we have students in over 60 different countries and we see a signed licensing deal every week now for the last year and a half. 
So we see a volume of get products that mm-hmm. get licensed. And they get licensed at all different stages. But it's not what people think. You know, everybody thinks you need a patent. Ninety, I would say 90% of all the products that get licensed, there's no patent. I would say probably 50% of all the products that gets licensed, there's not even a prototype. That really shocks people. Um, you're really, when you license an idea, you're really presenting the benefit of the idea, not so much the idea. Mm-hmm. So when you think of it that way, um, it simplifies it. So you don't need a patent. Sometimes you don't need a prototype. So what do you need? You need a one-page advertisement of your product. Mm-hmm. And you could have someone create your idea. It could be a, just, a, I, just a sketch of a napkin, but now with 3D, com, 3D um, computer-generated graphics, I can take an idea that's really rough and this artist can bring it to life in 3D. I don't even have to build a prototype to see if it has legs. So it's a one-page advertisement. It has a one-line benefit statement at the top. What are you doing for me? What is that one benefit that's emotional? It's really that one thing that your product is going to do. And then have a picture of it. And that's what we're teaching people. Show that to a company that wants to work with us, that wants to work with inventors and product developers, that they're open to product submissions. So you sell the benefit first. If you cannot sell the benefit first, why even bother building a prototype? Why even bother putting it on a crowdfunding site? Why even bother? And that way you can come up with a lot of ideas and spend very little money to test. And that comes back to when I mentioned um, creating things when I was selling them at street fairs. You have to test quickly. Mm -hmm. So with this type of method, this type of strategy, if you're an idea person, you can test your ideas um, without spending a lot of money very quickly. So it's uh, so getting back to your question, I, I think it depends. Now, some ideas are a little bit more complex, and companies, if they do like your sell sheet, that one-page advertisement, they're going to ask for a prototype, mm-hmm. proof of concept. Then maybe you build one. See, that's what I'm telling everybody. You don't want to build a prototype for every idea you have. It will drive you crazy. You don't want to Mm -hmm. file intellectual property for every idea you have. You'll go broke. So use these really simple tools. So it's usually at the very beginning um, that we see students licensing ideas with only a sell sheet and nothing more. So when you say test quick, like – Go back to your days when you were physically, you were selling in person at fairs and you could see very quickly whether your idea has marketability based on whether you get a certain amount of interest and a certain amount of buyers, right? But uh, how do you test ideas quickly when you're not even developing a prototype, you're just going with your best idea, putting a sell sheet together and, right. right? Yeah, this is what you do. The first step is that you want to find, let's say you have an idea, okay, and Go down to the store, if it's a Walmart or Target, wherever. Go down and find that exact aisle that your product is going to sell. Walk down and find that aisle. Even ask the manager, hey, I've got this idea, something like this. Where would this sell? Once you find that aisle, all those companies that are on that aisle are going to be your potential licensees. So that's how you identify the companies you want to submit it to that are similar on that particular aisle. Then once you make a list, take a picture, 
go on the internet, make a list of 20 companies that you're going to reach out to. First, reach out to them and ask them if they're inventor friendly. Ask them if they have embraced open innovation, that they're looking for ideas from people like us. That's the first, that's the best way to protect an idea, to make sure they're embracing us creative people. And if they, if they are, perfect. Then you want to put together that one-page sell sheet. Mm-hmm. Very, very simple. And you could probably have that done for maybe $100. That's how easy it is. But before you send it off, I would highly recommend, not in every situation, but in most situations in some industries, file a, a provisional patent application. It's called a PPA. Mm-hmm. And you can file it yourself. You don't have to have a patent attorney file it. And you can learn a lot about a provisional patent applications or software. We, we have a program that people purchase through that walks you through the steps. So you protect, you get patent pending that gives you perceived ownership. You find a company that's looking for ideas and you show them your sell sheet. It's that simple. And then reach out to those 20 companies and reach out through LinkedIn. It's the best way now. Go to LinkedIn, find the company, reach out to someone in marketing or someone in sales. Don't pitch. Don't do that. Just tell them, I'm a product developer. I think I've got a great idea for your company. What is your process? Who could I speak with? Let them direct you to the right department. Let them tell you the right person. Then once you get that right person at that company, hey, I'm a product developer. I've got a great idea. Can I show it to you? It's very simple. Um, It doesn't, the thing I like about licensing, it levels the playing field for everyone. It doesn't matter if you're 18 or 82. It doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter your income. It doesn't matter um, your gender, your race. It, It Everybody can do this. And that's why I love it so much. And that's why we see a full range of ideas that get licensed. We've seen things that are very complicated. Things are very simple. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's, 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 it's not difficult. And I outline those steps in a book called One Simple Idea. And I think you can see that, I think, up on the shelf from McGraw Hill. I'm going to link to that in the show notes as well on Amazon. Okay. Um, when do you recommend licensing be a good avenue for an entrepreneur? I think it's the only avenue. That's <laughs> Not biased at all. <laughs> well, I'll tell you the reason why. Um, I've done both. I've ventured. I had a, a musical accessory business where we sold these little guitar picks in the shapes of skulls and vampires. And I was a Disney licensee and I was a Taylor Swift licensee. And we sold our guitar picks in probably 10,000 stores around the world. We were, we were in Walmart, 7-Eleven. And it took a lot of money, more more money than people, for, for like a two-cent two piece of plastic. People didn't realize how much money it took. When we, when we received that first Walmart order, it was a half a million dollars. People have no idea how to, how to scale. They have no idea how to do the financials. Um, so I know both sides of the coin, but I'm here to say today, the new business model is licensing. And I'll tell you the reason why. If you have a good idea, you're going to get copied. Mm-hmm. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. In fact, if you do a Kickstarter campaign and you raise a little bit of money, before you even start, it will be shipping and selling on Amazon in three weeks. So how do you compete with that? Right? So. Mm-hmm. 
I say the best protection today is that you you license to a, a company that already has the just shelf space, and that way you can get your product idea out there fast. And it's just a good partner. Yeah, it's a partner that's a has maybe some of the stuff that you don't have. But I tell everybody um, today, it's all about speed. Yeah, I know you mentioned I if you want to say this or not, but. Um, let's just say certain people in the industry, certain companies in the industry are not wanting to admit what's going on in the crowdfunding space right now with products <laughs> being knocked off. I remember there was this really cool dog chew toy thing that was an Indiegogo campaign that raised about 300000 And I saw it, didn't buy it on Indiegogo, but about a month later on Instagram, I saw this thing. And I was like, great, it's the dog chew thing. So I bought it. And it turns out it wasn't even the company that had crowdfunded it. It was one of the Chinese knockoffs or some, not necessarily China, but like it was some company that had quickly ripped that idea and started selling it, parading as them. So what are, what are the, like your thoughts on crowdfunding now? If ideas can get ripped off so easily, like. Yeah. (coughs) Thank you. I love crowdfunding, but I would use Mm -hmm. it differently. You see, I think. Everybody thinks it's a money problem when they have an idea. Mm-hmm. And they think that if I go in crowdfunding, <coughs> excuse me, I can test the market, I can raise funds, and those funds I can use to get in production, right? But they don't know it's not a it's not a money issue, it's a knowledge issue. See, and and really how do you how do you take an idea, bring it to market? It takes a lot more than just money. It takes experience. It takes time. It takes relationships. It takes a lot of things. So I think people are fooled if they think that I'm going to put this idea and I'm going to raise money and then I'm going to bring it to market. I think they're fooling themselves. Um, yes, it does happen. Um, I think that uh, there's a lot of companies that do raise money that never end up shipping. Okay. Yes. So, And if you have a hot idea and you raise that much money, uh, everybody's watching. To me, the exposure is way too great. And if you ask people, how do you protect it? They'll tell you, let's, you, you know, protect it the traditional ways. Um, file a patent or a trademark or, and um, try to get this ownership of it. And I'm here to tell everybody, you, you cannot own anything anymore. I give this example. Apple, you know, biggest company in the world, they cannot stop the knockoffs. And they've got thousands of patents and probably hundreds of patent attorneys. And so why, why do you think we can? And people, I know how people feel about it. They, they get upset about it. It's not fair. It's not right. But business is extremely competitive. And even patents are just words that can be interpreted by patent examiners, judges, and jury. So if you want to participate, and, and I think you should, don't look at it from a legal perspective. Look at it from a business perspective. What is my best way of doing this? And there are some really inexpensive tools to protect yourself. But the way I would use crowdfunding, that is a source to raise money um, because it's not a money problem. I would use crowdfunding as a source to, to ship my product fast, to be ready to manufacture, to be ready um, to use that platform to sell more product. That's how I would use it. But I think people are fooled that I'm going to put it up there. And, and even now today, those, those crowdfunding, uh, crowdfunding campaigns take a lot of money to be successful now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very crowded. It's hard to find your audience. 
So it's changed. Um, but no, the dirty little secret most people don't want to talk about the exposure. So I think if I was going to do a crowdfunding campaign, num- number one, the three tools that you need is definitely a trademark because they will copy your name exactly. Yep. The second thing would be a copyright of all your photography, all your pictures, because they will take your pictures on your crowdfunding and use those exact photographs. So yep. you can copyright that, and that's very inexpensive to do. Uh, those two tools um, allow you to stop online sellers. Right, because what they're going to do when they do copy you, they're going to copy you exactly. Mm-hmm. So a copyright um, and a trademark allows you to go to the online sellers and show that you own those two things. It takes about 10 months to get ownership. Yep. And that can stop them. So you have to be prepared. I also think that if you're going to launch, be the original. Tell your story. Humanize it. I think that's your best fight. I don't think you fight in court. In fact, I don't even think you can get to court anymore. I think where you want to fight is on social media. Mm-hmm. Um, get your brand out there. Be the original. Tell your story. And have your audience shame the knockoffs. <laughs> okay? Have your yeah. audience give them bad reviews. Have your audience come to your rescue. Because now you have a voice. We had, um, this is when I read up on your, entre- it was one of your articles on Entrepreneur about before you launch your business here, make sure you have a safety net, here are 13. And I yeah. saw um, how you brought to market a guitar pick. And I was like, that's, I don't know if you've heard of Jamstack. It's the guitar amplifier that okay. connects to the, anyway, it's a guitar hardware product. And um, we raised about 350K on Indiegogo. And it was great. We did the branding. We did the audience building. But like what, right when we were about to do an official market launch on Shopify, we had a knockoff. Um, and a couple of our customers were like, hey, guys, there's this like Jamstack knockoff selling your Jamstack for like $50 versus the 200 and some we were charging for it. And it was just really fascinating to see how our community really helped Um helped us like get those guys pulled off Facebook and how they like how they just told us and they were there for us because we had built up that trust and that loyalty through them. Yeah, no, it's, it's the way to fight today. And, you know, most people are anti big company, right? They, they, Mm -hmm. they want a story. They want to relate to the person and the product. And I think they're going to support that. Um, The, the guys that, that are going to copy you, it's going to it's gonna hurt your brand. I mean, the, the, it's going to be a, most likely an inferior product. So you have to fight back. And, and the way you fight back is in the, through the marketplace, not through, you know, trying to sue somebody. That's ridiculous these days because the, the laws have changed and it's almost impossible now. So if you have a, a smart, you know, strategy from IP, trademark, copyright, maybe even a design patent, and then tell your story and be the original and have your audience chase them down. And, and then I would also contact all the retailers and tell them your story too. Because they do not, they might carry the bricks and mortar. They might carry the, the Me Too or the copycat. Mm-hmm. But once they know you're the original, they don't want the bad publicity either. Everybody's running from um, the bad reviews. All the companies are are um, very concerned about their image. So we have power now. 
And we need to use it, you know, as a, as a collective community to protect each other. Yeah. So uh, one thing I love, because I don't really know the answer to this. So how would you use licensing with a Kickstarter campaign? Or is there any, any way oh. to work with them together? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you have to realize just you have a lot of exposure when you're on a Kickstarter campaign or a crowdfunding campaign. You just do. Um, I would probably not try to raise a lot of money. I'd kind of want to be under the radar a little bit. Mm-hmm. So yeah, kind of. And I know people want as much money, but I, I don't know if that, 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 that's a flag, right? I mean, they're watching. If you hit X amount, they know they have a hit. So I would try to structure it where um, it's successful, but not to the degree of sounding the alarm that you've got a hit on your hands. And then I would probably reach out to companies before I launch and say, look, I've got this idea um, and, t- and make sure you've got some manufacturing knowledge ahead. Make sure you're, you're pretty close. You understand all that and, and reach out to a potential licensee and say, look, I'm going to run a crowdfunding campaign. I want you to watch me. Mm-hmm. And I want to show you how much interest there is. Because what you're doing is taking away risk. Right? And and if you can prove, um, have a, a people order it, that takes away risk. You have proof of demand. If you do that, you'll get a licensing deal in a heartbeat. So there's a way to yeah. do it, but you have to be careful. Um, now, scoping licensing deals and getting the right the best deal with someone because you have a a company that will fund manufacturing, marketing costs and all that to bring your product to market. Um, is there an advantage to, I guess, do you, will you get a better deal when your person a, that goes with a sell sheet and a prototype versus person B that's gone and raised a hundred thousand dollars on Kickstarter? Like, do you get better terms because you've proved that market? Of course. Okay. Um, the more risk you take away, the better deal you'll get. It's just, it's really simple, right? So if you've gone ahead and built the product and sold some of them, of course, right? I mean, you, you've, you made it easier for them to make a decision. So of course, um, that's the number one thing to get a deal and get a best deal is show the demand. Yes. Okay. Uh, I feel like this is, um, okay. So when, if I have a product and I get Disney to license it, am I bound to exclusivity through Disney or can I have multiple licensees for product? Well, that's a good question. Um, you can, um, have multiple licenses. It depends on your product. Let's say, um, I have a product that I have a rotating, let me see, let me grab one of these and I'll show you real quick. Okay, cool. Um, one of my products, I think you can see here, it's, it's a rotating label. It's just on, this one's on water. When you spin the label, it gives you more information. Oh, that's cool. Okay. Yeah. It's a delivery system, right? And I was able to license this to companies in the water. But also, um, it was on vitamins. It was on coffee. It was on um, toys. So I was able to get a license in all those different categories. So I was able to carve out um, different areas for people to license. The, the, the trick is you don't want them to overlap, right? So 
if you have an idea that maybe you can use an, as a as a commercial application, maybe in the construction business, mm-hmm. but that same idea could be used for um, res, um, maybe for the home. So I could license it to two in- industries. I might have an idea that's great for hospitality, um, for all the hotels, and that same idea might be the license to someone for their personal use. So I could do two different licenses. You just don't want them to overlap in the marketplace. Yeah. Understood. Um, what is the biggest mistake people make when licensing a product? Well, I, I think the biggest mistake they make is they, they rush. They, they, they're going too quick. Um, what we're seeing, um, once people learn about licensing and how easy it is, they're sending ideas, I think, they're sending their, their product ideas to companies that are not a good fit. They're casting such a wide net. They're so excited that maybe if I showed you know, this company this, they might be interested. They're not really looking at the company's mission statement. They're not looking at their product mix. They're not looking at the materials, the price point. Because, because if you send a, uh, your idea to a company and it, they don't take it, you kind of wasted their time and wasted your time. So I think the biggest mistake people are making, in fact, I'm writing a new book just on this, how to really um, present your idea correctly and how to make sure you get it to the right company so you don't waste their time. Those top executives, you got to respect their time and just don't throw everything up against the wall to see if it sticks. That's not a great approach, but product developers and inventors um, are just are so excited about the opportunity once they get a connection, once they get a, an email, they just want to rush in and show it. And they're only thinking about themselves. You have to think about the company too. So I want everybody to slow it down and do a better job so um, you don't waste their time or yours. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like going back to what you were saying at the beginning of this conversation where to, you want to find the relevant retailers by going to the aisle you see your product placed in. And then by default, you're narrowing the funnel to uh, companies that fit the scope of what you're most likely going to be like best fit in, right? Yeah, I'll give you a great example. Um, I was in, I was making guitar picks and I came up with another idea, lifestyle guitar picks. And I wanted to, thought, well, why not lifestyle drumsticks? They're only 10 feet away in the store. And when we started to look at the supply chain to manufacture it, and we realized, well, it's different manufacturing, it's different buyers, it's different customers. It's like a whole nother business. It made no sense. So you have to realize that if you think uh, um, you have an idea, make sure it's a really good fit that they can take it and put it right into their product line. Don't show them, hey, you should do this over here. You're asking for too much work. It's too much risk. They, they just won't do it. So make sure it's a, a, a good fit. The other, the other mistake, I think, um, is people don't understand the language a little bit. They get in a, um, Once they start asking questions, people don't know how to answer them because they've kind of rushed in a little bit. It basically comes down, do your homework. Be a professional um, and educate yourself. Like like this podcast and the video, you have to educate yourself, and that's what you're doing to your audience, right? Give mm-hmm. them the steps. Don't don't just rush in there. Don't make the mistakes. You don't have to. You're going to make a few, of course, but 
limit the number of mistakes. Not to mention, like, it's very, well, it is sales 101 when you think about it. If you go to the wrong company, it means your pitch is wrong, which means you may have just burned a connection, right? Or you're going to have to knock on five or 10 times the amount of doors because you weren't specific. You're casting such a wide net that it's just, it's not a fit, right? And I'm, you know, for people that I've seen that are very interested in licensing, they're people like you that have multiple product ideas. So if you get licensing deal for product number one, I'm, I'm assuming that's a relationship that you want to manage with, with that licensee. So you have the potential for opening more doors for future product, right? Yeah. I'm glad you said that. I think what we're seeing, um, one of the big mistakes a lot of people make is that they come up with a lot of different ideas in different categories. And so they're just kind of throwing it out to different categories and they're not spending enough time in one particular industry to really understand it. And, and once you stay in one industry long enough, you you know, all the players, they know you now and you really know where it's going, Mm -hmm. right? You're, you're studying it. So if you stay in, here's the formula for success. If you want to license, don't just come up with an idea and try to fit it into the market. Right. Most people do that. I have a problem. I think a lot of people have the problem. I'm just going to try to find a place to fit it in. That's one way. But why not target your creativity? Look at a company. Find a, find an industry that you're very passionate about, first of all, and that you know a little bit about because you love it. And then look at the company's website. Look at their products and, and imagine what are they going to do next? And then try to create for them. You're really, you're really targeting and funneling your creativity and you're looking at it and go, okay, because I know, see, I know those in-house designers are not happy. They're getting a paycheck. They're not working on their own stuff. They want to leave at five o'clock. But for us, the, the ability to, to collect royalties, the ability to be associated with the product, that's all about creation. That's what we'd love to. So you can out-design the guys on inside. Just realize that. So look at their product line and go, what are they going to do next? I just have to outthink them. And then when you start to study it, send them ideas, send them small improvements on their existing ideas. Don't try to reinvent the wheel. Small improvements on their existing ideas. That's the easiest way. And then keep on sending them ideas. This is what's going to happen. You're going to get rejected. Fantastic. Now you're in the game. Once you come back with another idea, that's when you become a pro. And, and build a relationship. And what happens when you start to invest your time with them, they will start to invest their time with you. And they will start to tell you what they're looking for. Now you have a target to hit. Mm-hmm. So we, we have students that have licensed. They'll stay in one industry and they license, you know, 20, 30 ideas. Yeah. But if you jump around, uh, you'll, you'll never build a relationships. There you go. You'll be a generalist versus a specialist. You got it. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Um, I like to ask this question last. Is there anything else I should have asked you that I haven't? Um, no, those are really great questions. I think um, you have to realize what do you want to do with your time? And if you're an entrepreneur, you're going to want to do all of it. You want to, you want to do, you, it's like the basketball player that takes the last shot. 
you want to make all the decisions. You want to worry about the finances. You want to worry about the packaging, the fulfillment. You want to do it all. But if you're a creative person and you want to be creative, um, maybe licensing is a better uh, fit for you. You will not control it all. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll not make the final decisions. Um, but you can leverage the power of these companies to bring your creativity to market fast. And, and the r- standard um, royalty rate or the average is about 5%. And a lot of people are like, well, 5% doesn't sound like much. Well, if you look at the profit margin of a typical company, it's not as much as you think it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had one company come on, they tell us we're lucky at 10% at the end of the day. So if you think, if you're not taking any risk, and they're doing all the work, and you're getting 5%, it makes a lot of sense. It really does. And yeah, so it depends on what you, what do you want to do with your time. I mean, how many businesses can you start in your career? But how many ideas can you come up with other people can bring to the market for you? So you got to figure out what type of, you know, what's your, you know, what do you like to do? And if you like to be creative, licensing, I think might be an option. Yeah. I love that. And uh, for more information, I understand you have a YouTube channel with quite a bit of great content. Um, where should people yeah. go if they want to learn more about your work and working with you in Eventrite? Um, first of all, I have to say this one story. My one of my early students was a um, was Tim Ferriss that wrote the Four Hour Work Week, oh, Tim. and he was one of my. Yeah, he's a pretty popular guy, and he wrote about me in the four-hour work week. But he also told me one. He gave me some great advice. He said, look, Steve, if, you're ever gonna, if you really want to be an expert, give everything away. So we have a YouTube channel called InventRight TV. There's over 400 videos. We give it all away. So if, if you really – and Tim was right about that because if you're really serious about this and you really want to help people, help them. Help them. And if they want more, you're, you're, you're there. And you, you probably have other things that, that might, they might want. So the YouTube channel, InventRight TV, 400 videos, absolutely free, 10 minutes long. We do two or three every week. Watch them. You'll love them. Great. Well, this has been a really educational and a just fantastic conversation. So thank you uh, for like helping me put this together. Love it. Whatnot. Thank you very so- much. Hey guys, thanks for listening. All of the links that we mentioned in this episode are going to be available in the show notes at kirsten.com slash ls10, so ls10. And you could spell my name at k-h-i-e-r-s-t-y-n.com. And hey, if you are looking at launching your physical product soon, be sure to head over to kirsten.com to grab your uh, free version of our new launch guide. It's filled with full checklist and a printable calendar uh, six months really leading up to your launch and if you are ready to talk uh, launch goals we are doing launch blueprint sessions to help you map out your product launch journey so if you want to get some clarity on where you need to go and what work you got to do to actually hit your product launch goals you can go to kirsten.com and it is the hub of all things you are gonna need so again thanks for listening guys we will see you next time
Are you launching a product on either Kickstarter or Shopify and you're feeling completely overwhelmed with the process? Hi there, my name is Kirsten, the CEO of Launch and Scale. To date, we've helped several online sellers sell millions of dollars online and scale their business from zero to seven figures by focusing on building an audience of fans that will actually convert into paying customers. If you're serious about building a seven-figure e-commerce brand with less time and less risk, you should check out our product launchpad. PLP is a proven accelerator that takes you step-by-step -step through the process of launching and scaling your product brand. Brands like the Monk Manual, Aberlite, Series Chill, Jamstack, and several others were all launched using our product launchpad. So if you'd like to be our next success story, go to launchandscale.co slash PLP to learn more. And for a limited time, we're offering a seven-day trial of the product launchpad for only $1. Again, go to launchandscale.co slash PLP to learn more.